Hello, and we are back to the Replacement Level Podcast. Chris, this is going to be a huge podcast. And I think even since the beginning of our show, since the Replacement Level Podcast was born, and since it really emerged, I think this is going to be the biggest podcast ever, Chris. I'm excited, man. Let's do this. This is huge. Right after... We concluded our previous podcast. The New York Yankees went out and signed the one and only Aaron Judge. Nine years, 360 buckaroos. There's nothing else to say except for Brian Cashman and Al Steinbrenner did what they wanted and did what inevitably Judge wanted come back to New York and return to his homegrown and hometown, really, where he grew up as a New York Yankee, and he will be a New York Yankee for the next nine years. And just another note on that topic, the Padres offered him 400, one year extra, so that would just be 40, an extra 40 for an additional year. But Chris, Aaron Judge, is coming back to the Bronx. Oh, all is right in Yankees world. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, no, that's awesome. I mean, good, good for the Yankees to get him. Uh, it's, I mean, we talked about it many times, like if the Yankees didn't sign him, where are they going and what are they doing? And I'm still not sure what that, the right answer for that would be, but it's all moot at this point as judge is back. He gets to launch bombs all day long in Yankee stadium taking advantage of the uh, small dimensions of the stadium and padding the stats and most likely working his way into the Hall of Fame with some historic, possibly historic, offensive numbers. And also, one thing that, that's kind of funny to me is that, now for Judge, you mentioned that now he can hit home runs as much as he wants, but if he went to San Diego San Francisco, he wouldn't have that advantage to more. Yankees obviously have the shortest porch mm-hmm. in the game of baseball and a good amount of the time when judge doesn't barrel the ball and he hits it to the opposite field which he's done a lot past couple mm-hmm. of years especially with that home run ball the only stadium that'll go out is Yankee Stadium so if you go to San Diego and San Francisco I'm sure he would collect and I'm sure he would hit a good amount of home runs and wherever he went but he again he wouldn't have that advantage and I do think that that's something he took into consideration. Obviously, it's a very it, – it's obviously doesn't really factor in too much, but I'm sure that was on his mind. Like, hey, I can hit opposite field home runs, and there's a good chance that will go out even without barreling it all the way through. Oh, yeah. And San Diego is a notorious park for just kind of suppressing right-handed power. Uh, San Francisco, Oracle Park, they they were also in more pitchers park, but since they got rid of the archways, which I believe were in right field, I think, um, that park is offensive output has kind of um, ticked up a little bit over the last few years towards a little bit more of a neutral park. So if he's if he if it came down to San Diego or San Francisco and he's looking strictly at which park can kind of give him a better boost in his numbers, San Francisco would most likely have that advantage but uh, yes i mean new york stadium is one of the 
smallest parks to to you know get some uh, cheap home runs um, out there. And so you know, it's uh, it's good for him, and it'll be fun to watch him just hit hit missiles all day long out there. So I didn't want to be I don't want to be biased, but I kind of wanted to speculate in the Yankees for a little just to cover some ground. I'm kind of Yankees are as of, as of where we stand right now. The Yankees are poised to lure one of the bigger free agents still on the market. We do have some free agents that are still available. Obviously, the Yankees have are in serious talks with the one and only Carlos Rodon, former Cy Young winner, and again, the Yankees are even. I I actually saw on Twitter earlier about an hour ago, that the Yankees are expected to formally offer a contract to the one and only Carlos Rodon. And he's all over Twitter right now, and his name is found everywhere. You look at Carlos Rodon, he's there. So I, I think for the Yankees, now is just locking in that rotation and fixing up any flaws in the rotation, maybe getting a bat. Obviously, they do need that Ben Attendee back. They could even reach for Michael Brantley, but his age is definitely a concern. I do think that he, listen, he had shoulder surgery, which impeded his entire season in twenty this past year. So I do think that Brantley, there's a red flag there. Again, he is a contact bat, and he can field this fielding is solid. But again, I do think that Benny should be brought back, even on a one, two-year contract, just the central urgency the Yankees have to win and to bring to win, honestly, to win a World Series, in fact, as we've seen. So Yankees do need a contact bat. I do think that, and with the rumors about Tatis, Chris, I saw earlier today that you you went out and... Tagged me on a post with Tatis, but I, I'm going to have to agree with the, with the guy. The Yankees aren't getting Tatis. Let's be realistic for a second. Mm-hmm. Yankees aren't getting Tatis. Let, let, let's take a step back. Let's take a step by step. Let's go for Odon. Tatis is not going to be in the picture here. I'm, we're not going out and emptying out our entire farm system for a guy who's on a $300 plus million dollar contract, and we're going to eat, eat up those numbers. I don't think it's obviously it's worth it for the talent, perennial talent there in Tatis, but again, eighty game suspension. Yep. Is that worth hauling your entire farm system? I mean, where, where are you playing him? You, you, if you went out and got him, you put him at shortstop, where you, you know he's kind of had a shoulder issue, you know, with his shoulder being popped out every now and then when he's like diving to get balls hit up the middle or in the hole or anything like that, or you're going to play him in the outfield and maybe save your shoulder a little bit. But, you know, if you're playing in the outfield, now you've got Judge, Bader, Stanton, and Tatis. But then Cabrera, then uh, that's the only issue. Then you would have to maybe move Cabrera to third and then maybe put – I I would even move Donaldson. I I think that one name that the Yankees have to address is Josh Donaldson because – he, I do, I did see earlier, a few weeks back, that the Yankees aren't gonna aren't considering moving him because they do see potential 
I don't really see what he has left. But they, well, from what from what I see, the Yankees feel that there's something left in that tank, and if it, things don't work out in the first couple months, they're gonna talk and they're gonna kind of pull and trying to figure out where exactly Donaldson can turn, go next. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is, like, you're moving Donaldson to get to T's. The Padres don't need him. They've got Machado, who's better. So where's is Donaldson going to be the DH? I mean, he struggled to hit last year. He hit 222 in Yankee Stadium, which is a very nice hitter's park. And you're going to put him in San Diego and expect him to, you know, all of a sudden get back to his career average of 265? I really doubt that is happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can't really move Donaldson in a deal to get to tease or anything like that. So it, it, there's a lot of things that just don't work out in trying to make a deal to get to tease to the stick to the Yankees, unless you're moving some pieces that the Yankees kind of need to have. Like, could you move? Could you include Gleyber Torres plus Cabrero and Volpe and Jason Dominguez and maybe Clark Schmidt and some of the other pitching prospects. Like, yeah, but then the Yankees kind of need a second baseman and they kind of need some more pitching depth as well. So a lot of it just doesn't make sense um, for it to work out or anything like that. And even if the Yankees do conjure some sort of Hall for Tatis. I was talking with one of my Yankees fans earlier today, and this is the offer that he. This is the offer he put out. He put out Volpe Dominguez. I added Spencer Jones. I would even if things get. If the. Padres would get greedy, and I, I from what I'm hearing, the Padres, clubhouse is kind of on a negative connotation, sort of something like that, because apparently Tatis isn't the greatest influence on, and the vibes that he brings to the clubhouse aren't the greatest. And um, from what I'm hearing, it does it hurts the team morale. So I think mm. that's kind of why the Padres are even considering moving their star shortstop. But... The deal would be huge. It obviously would include one of the top prospects, and it would include Volpe and Dominguez. That's for sure. It wouldn't be one or the other. I think they would come together as a pair, Volpe and Dominguez. And maybe they'll throw in Torres, Marinaccio, maybe even Spencer Jones, their first-round pick that they got from Vanderbilt. But even if the Yankees would consider and... I know that nothing was been confirmed yet. All we've heard is from a radio host on ESPN. And it's not like Heyman and Rosenthal threw any of that out. But Tatis, I, I don't really see that being realistic on the Yankees' side. Yeah. Um, so real quick, getting back to the possible hope you're talking about with Donaldson, uh, the hope could be hit from his glove. I mean, he's a career uh, 958 fielding percentage at third base and last year he actually saw a rebound in two kind of important areas one is games played from his um, 2022 season to his 2021 season 
2021, he played 92 games. He started 91 of them. In 2022, he played 104, and then he started 102. In 2021, with the Twins, he had a 952 fielding percentage, where with the Yankees, he had a 961 fielding percentage. So not only did he play more games, it means he also had more attempts, and he also fielded better. So while maybe his bat isn't going to live up to what anybody's expecting, his defense could be something that is still useful. Uh, and if you get a better shortstop, uh, maybe some more range than um, Isaiah Conifaletha, maybe his glove could be even that much better because, I don't know, he could shift more or play, play a little more aggressive or something. I, I'm not sure exactly. But um, that might be what the Yankees are looking at. Um, now, with that being said, and a possible Tatis trade, what may end up having to happen is the Yankees may have to get a third team involved in order to make everything work. Um, and that obviously becomes a lot more complicated because now you've got to satisfy, first you've got to find another team that's willing to move necessary pieces um, to get most likely some of the players that the Yankees are going to be needing to move in order to get Tatis. Um, but also some players that San Diego might have to move in order to appease this new team as well. So you got to find that right team that would be in the mixture for it. And then you've also got to find the right team that is willing to, you know, basically say, that's fine, we'll help you get to Tease, um, and we'll take, you know, the seconds. You know? So that, you know, three te- training so, is hard to do to begin with, and adding a third team makes it even more difficult, but if if the Yankees are wanting to get to Tease, that might be an option they have to realistically consider. Yeah, so I, I kind of just want to – I wanted to add, I guess, expound on what you said about Donaldson. The, the defense is definitely there. I do think that that area, the defensive area, is something he's always excelled in. But I, I do think he tends to get a little cocky. It tends to misread – certain hops and he didn't make 12 errors this year and that that kind of hurt his fielding percentage was at 961 mm-hmm. that's not too great uh, yeah. yeah overall i think as a third baseman he does quite the job but at the end of the day was that trade for giro shella really worth the while because while the yankees they did they, they did want to oust gary sanchez and that's what they did and he, mm-hmm. again, Sanchez had his 20 home run year, but he, again, he hit in the low 200s. But was that worth getting rid of Gio Rochella and Gary Sanchez in return for a, a washed offensive player with some defensive attributes still lingering? And for a catcher, Ben Rortvet, who still is enduring injuries and is hasn't really played too much and was that really worth it i think that's what it comes down to because now like you mentioned the yankees would have to involve a third team because the yankees can't afford hauling their entire farm system and the third team has to be involved because the conditions and everything that comes along with like a huge deal like that i just don't see realistic that it can just be a one-way street between the Yankees and the Vajras. Yeah, 
Yeah, most likely they, they have to get another team. And uh, we've seen with the Padres, they don't necessarily care too much about their their farm system. Um, you know, they're fine with trading some prospects away to land a, a big MLB name and big talent. Um, but, you know, at some point you run out of prospects and then you, you have to start dealing from the club or, um, you know, your big league club. So uh, my guess would be if the if – the, Padres are dealing to tease. They're probably going to be looking for a player or two that could help them help their club this year, but then also maybe some players that could help re, uh, refill their, their farm system because their farm system has definitely been depleted over the last few years. Yeah, I think it's I think it's time to move on from this topic because there, there's a lot because this oh, yeah. free agency market has been on the move and players are flying off the market left and right. Both of the international signings have been confirmed. Senga and Matasaki head to head overseas back to the States. Senga heads to the Mets five years, 75 or 85. What was it? Um, I'm not sure I have to find that. I know that I know that Masataki may have been a drop shorter. Masataka Yoshida, he yeah, he the the Red Sox signed him. That was for that was for around I'm trying to pull it up. So Senga is for five years, 75. Five years, 75. Right, it was 75. Then Yoshida, trying to pull this up. Yeah, Yoshida was five years. I think it was less. It may have been more. I'm not trying to... Yeah, he got... Sorry, five years, 90 million guaranteed. And it it didn't contain any options or opt-out clauses, so... By the way, that... let's, let's, Let's dial in on the... Masataka Yoshida signing because he, he's 5'8 and he, th- there's no fielding whatsoever for him. He he just can't field. He's not a fielding <laughs> outfielder. He can't field. So how are they going to – will they DH him? Because now you've lost out on Bogarts and your shortstop position is kind of unemployed right now and – you take a look at Yoshida, pulling up his baseball reference. He's 29. Mm-hmm. And career-wise, if you take a look at his stats, offensively, he's a menace. Offensively, he had a 449 on base percentage. Career line, 326, 419, 538, 957 OPS. He isn't necessarily a huge power hitter. Obviously, he's on the shorter Side, but he did hit 20 home runs and has did hit 135 home runs across seven years in the MPB. But defensively, you're gonna have to find someone else because he just can't field. So he's a new he's a new JD Martinez. He's a new JD Martinez. He's still a free agent, and he's a replacement for JD. Sounds like they just got the new DHM. He's uh. Sounds like they got themselves their JD Martinez replacement. He's a shorter version of <laughs> yeah. He's a mini Kodai Singh. He's a mini uh yeah. JD. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe if, if they're lucky, he can be like Martinez at the plate, but be like Manny Ramirez in the field and just bring that kind of comical element. Uh, maybe Yoshida can go to the bathroom in the big green monster as well. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't quite get th- this signing for the Red Sox. I also don't get what the Red Sox are doing in general. Um, <laughs> you let Bogarts go. You decided to bring back Jackie Bradley Jr. That didn't work out. You um, shipped off Ben Attendee. I mean, what is Chain Bloom doing out there? I know I've got some Red Sox fans, and they're not real happy with with Bloom. But, um, I mean, it's just curious. And now, I mean, what does that mean for Raphael Devers? Is he going to be with the Red Sox, or is he going to be the next guy to go um, and be on the club? I mean, I can tell you there's a lot of teams that would love to have Devers on, on their team. Young, pretty solid third baseman, definitely got a good approach to the plate and a very good hitter. Um, but yeah, it's very kind of mind boggling what he is doing. And I, I just pulled up the contract, the career earnings. Singa's making less than your than Yoshida. You're paying a guy who is an offensive machine but can't field. You're paying him mm-hmm. more than a guy who had a 2.42 ERA in 11 seasons, struck out a ton of guys. He struck out 14.86 for the, nearly 1,500 guys. And I'm mm-hmm. just for the Red Sox, like you mentioned, like what's going on there? Do they have anything? in mind uh, because you got rid of Bogarts like you mentioned and you're paying a guy five years 90 million you have no clue how he'll fare and what his production levels will be against MLB pitching and MLB is might be slow and personally I think MLB is better than the Japanese league I'm sure it is because MLB is best of the best so it's definitely better and you're you're facing now you're facing MLB pitching, and how will you produce? Will he still be that 450 OPP guy, or will he not hit at all? And then you don't have defense, and you don't have offense, so you're left with you're left with Joey Gallo. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's yeah, it's a very perplexing move in what they've done and what they're doing. Um, just a quick like highlight of what Bloom has done since he's been with the Red Sox. He let Bogarts leave um, while getting nothing in return. He traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers for Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, um, and I'm blanking on the other. His last name was Warren. I'm blanking on his first name. It was Connor. Um, Connor, thank you. Um, he traded away Andrew Benatendi for uh, Coco Cadero. Traded him away and also uh, Winkowski and some prospects. He did bring back Kyle Schwarber after Schwarber had a really good offensive production with him. By the way, Schwarber led the NL last year with 46 yeah. months in case somebody forgot. And then he decided to go out and sign Trevor Story to a six-year, $140 million deal to play second base. And now 
Story's probably projected to play short, but Story has a bum arm that scared off a lot of GMs that were concerned that he wasn't going to be able to make throws, uh, necessary throws, while playing short. So, uh, you know, there's that concern. And by the way, last year, Story only played 94 games. He hit 238, 16 home runs, and 66 RBIs. Um, so, yeah, that is kind of like the highlight overview of what Bloom has been doing in Boston. So, Chai Bloom hasn't done anything. So, I think it's time. Yeah. Obviously, if now that Bogarts is leaving, Devers may move also. JD might not return. There's a good chance that he'll crash a different squad. Obviously, he's a free agent now, so there's a good chance he may leave. Um, let's let's turn the page. Let's head to some bigger signings that we missed. Let let's mm-hmm. turn to the Cody Bellinger signing. Let's head into the Kenley Jansen, the Taiwan Walker, the Tyone, Quintana. Just to overview quickly, let's run yeah. through these. I want I want to discuss a few in particular. So run through is quick. Hanniger to the Giants. That was three years, forty five. Walker to the Phillies, four years, seventy two. Bellinger will do last because I kind of want to discuss Bellinger. Heaney got two years, 25. Mm-hmm. That was a nice move. Josh Bell to yeah. Guardians, two years, 33. Jensen, two years, 32. Boston, Tyun to Cubs, four years, 68. Quintana to Mets, two years, 26. Contreras to Cardinals, five years, $87 million. Let's, let's discuss Josh Bell first. First thing that comes to oh, my gosh. mind, Josh Naylor. What was that move? I don't we have first baseman. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I will say, I, I will say this: Josh Bell. I, I got to watch him play a few seasons in minor league ball here in Indianapolis, coming up for the Pirates. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, he was. He was fun to watch, man. You could definitely see there was MLB potential in there, and it just it was it wasn't put together. Obviously, at AAA, he didn't really put it together all that well in Pittsburgh. He did have that one season where he had a great first half and it looked like he had reached his full potential. Um, but since then, he's kind of settled down back in, I think, what is going to be more of his normal career averages and everything like that. But I think it's a good move for the Guardians. They get a, another bat to go along with Jose Ramirez. They get, which should give him some protection in the lineup as well. I mean, Bell's a career 266 hitter, or 262 hitter, excuse me, and he's a switch hitter. And he used to play a little bit um, corner outfield. I don't know if the Indians will ask him to do that a lot. Um, I mean, he's 6'4", 261, so I don't know how much, you know, wheels he's got left um, after kind of putting on some weight from his you know, call-up um, from back in Pittsburgh and everything like that. But... He is a guy that should provide him some good offensive production. I mean, he's going to hit you about 25 home runs in the season, drive in probably around 90. Uh, it's a good move for for the Guardians, who are definitely a small market team, and they operate that way. They don't go out and get big-name free agents. They you know, like to build through their farm system. So uh, it, it's a good move for them. Yeah, but one thing that kind of concerns me is where was Josh Bell in that second half of the season? I just pulled up his fan graph splits from mm-hmm. when he moved to San Diego. He hit 194 in the second half. 
he the comparison and the splits between he he dropped over a hundred points that average completely plummeted and it was like he was non his battle was non-existent he he is more of a first base dh split i think that's kind of why the guardians offered him that contract i think it's because they know that Naylor is the permanent and he's kind of the first baseman over there but I'm guessing they're going to use Bell and they're going to incorporate him. They're going to give him some reps at first. But I think they know that Naylor is the incumbent first baseman. But I, I just one thing that kind of turns me off is the second half production and the, the kind of lack of adjustment to a new team. That's kind of like concerning. Yeah. Yeah, um, it is very eye-opening, you know, to see that from him. Uh, definitely, I mean, if he was a little bit younger, like his maybe his second year in the, in the bigs uh, or his first, you know, time with a new team, you know, you'd probably chalk it up to an experience or, you know, going through it for the first time or anything like that. But he's been in the league for a few years now. He's, this is, you know, now is. Well, not the Indi- not the Guardians, but prior to it, it was his third team he was on. He played in Washington. He played in Pittsburgh. Um, so, you know, he should have some experience in, in you know, moving around um, around the league and everything. So, yeah, it is, it is a bit perplexing as to what's going on there. Uh, is it just the fact that Peco Park is not a very good offensive park and it kind of exposed him to, you know, everybody like hey he's a good player but he's you know he's a good player because he's playing in washington which is a little bit more hitter friendly and that's why his numbers are looking so good he's actually not as good as everyone thinks he is. you know I, I don't know i think maybe what some of it may also be why they got him is to platoon him with Naylor. Naylor is a career 283 hitter against right-handed pitching where he's a 173 against left-handed pitchers where Josh Bell is a 276 career hitter against lefty pitchers. So that could be the other thing is where when the lefty's on the mound, you have Bell playing versus versus um, having Naylor in there. Now, I, I do think you make a good point about Bell probably being the DH guy in there. And I think with, um, with, the kind of limited firepower that the, the Guardians have, I think you could see Bell playing a lot more um, and maybe being more in those situations where he he bats mostly against lefty pitching, but because he's also fairly competent with bat and hitting against righties as well, that he also plays a lot in there. So he you know he kind of holds the major the major side of the platoon split, even though he's better against lefties, which are you know, the lesser commodity in, in terms of how many left-hand pitchers are out there. Yeah, I, I actually never thought of that um, from what you just said, that the platooning Bell and Naylor, I do think that, that that's something which could be real. That, I think that's definitely realistic. I do think that platooning those two guys, the righty-lefty splits, I do think that can work out. You can you can you can have fun with that. I think that'll be fun. 
But I, I wanted to, like I said before, Cody Bellinger, I, I do think that kind of was, that was kind of like a, like Bellinger was going to sign to a certain team. Some team was, he, a lot of teams were have ex expressed interest in Bellinger, but it was kind of like inevitable that he would sign. I, I didn't have any concerns that he wouldn't sign anywhere. Because teams are aware of the fact that Bellinger has a ton of talent, and the ceiling is endless for Bellinger because he's a former MVP and a Rookie of the Year, and as we know, it it isn't just it, it's not common that a player who wins MVP just completely derails after that and completely falls off the map. So in Bellinger's case, I think it's a matter of staying healthy and getting that shoulder right and getting that swing right and whatever follow whatever anything else that entails just fixing up his swing getting everything straight because the drop from 2017 from 2019 to 2022 is quite the the difference it, you see how he completely drops everything drops he went from a 1.035 OPS to a 645 OPS 2022. So, what happened? Because we know that he's had some shoulder issues, and I think that's kind of been what's resisting him and kind of what's holding him back from being that 2019 MVP. But for the Cubs, good deal. Very respectable deal. I think Bellinger will fit nicely in that outfield because the Cubs are one of those youngest teams. Obviously, they got Hayden Wesneski, who had a huge year, not just rotation-wise. Obviously, rotation-wise, they do have. But um, in terms of their lineup, I do think that Bellinger was a nice addition because now they have Hap, Suzuki, and Bellinger and Morel. So other than that, I think now the Cubs outfield is looking very it's it's very solid. And I think that acquiring Bellinger and getting Bellinger, considering that the center field market this year is minimal and you're not really gonna get much aside from Bellinger and Brendan Nimmo, who as we know signed a massive contract with the Mets. So Bellinger was oh, yeah. Very respectable option. Yeah. And, I mean, he lands in a good good situation in Chicago. Uh, it's the windy city. There are definitely going to be days where the, ball, the wind is going to be blowing out and some balls that probably shouldn't leave the yard do. So uh, the fact that he signed a one-year deal, he's definitely banking on himself to have a rebound season with the Cubs um, and, hope, and cash in on the market again. I mean, he – it was reported that he got multi-year offers from other teams, obviously for some more money, but he decided that, you know, he wanted to take a much, much shorter deal and rebound probably with the plan of getting his numbers back up to his career, career normal. I mean, he hit 210 last year and he's a career 248 average. Not that 248 is spectacular or anything, but it's a lot better than, better than 210. So, uh, you know, good for him. Uh, I hope he comes through on. I hope he does have a good season and bounces back and either the Cubs 
sign extend them in season or they you know he goes on and gets to go to another ball club next year and play um on a bigger deal yeah uh like you said it's one of those years where he got paid good for good for bellinger and let him go out and do his thing a few more deals and a few more contracts i wanted to discuss obviously there was a massive haul today between the three-team deal including the Braves, the A's, and the Brewers. But before we head to that, Jamo heads to the Chicago Cubs. Jamo got paid. He deserves it. The kid is the guy the kid deserves it. Jamo had a nice year with my Yanks, but he got four years sixty eight. That's a nice AAV for Mr. Jamo. He had a three point nine one ERA. He pitched a full season through thirty two 32 starts on the mound, 151 strikeouts, 177 innings pitch. Nice for Jamo. He got paid. Good for the kid. Yep, yep. Always been a fan of him. He's another guy that came through the Indianapolis Indians minor league system. So got, um, I actually never got to watch him or Garrett Cole pitch in the minors, but um, you know, always kept an eye on them and watched them while they're in Pittsburgh. And, um, always felt time could be a little better than what he was, but I think at this point with the injuries he's had, it's kind of taken some of that away from him, but he's still a solid pitcher. Um, probably more of the back of the rotation type than more of the front line, like many people initially expected. But, yeah, good for him going to the Cubs. I think that should help out with them. I mean, the Cubs do have Kyle Hendricks, Marcus Stroman already in there, so that's a nice one-two free for them. So, Chris, you keep mentioning this, so I'm actually kind of interested. Um, You keep mentioning that a lot of these guys who grew up in the Indianapolis Indianapolis area where you're familiar with and in your area. Mm -hmm. So, did you do you check out a lot of minor league games? Yeah. So, my wife had when we got to when we're back when we were dating, uh, she told me that she'd gone to every opening day game for the AAA team here in Indianapolis um, for I forget how many years. And so I like baseball, so I was like, sure, let's go. So we, since we've been together, we've gone to an opening day um, for the past nine years, if I'm counting correctly, um, in my head. And that's been um, a couple of those opening days we got to bring our kids to them when they were still very much babies. Um, the Indians do have a cool promo where if the temperature at first pitch is less than 60 degrees, you get a uh, re- basically you get another ticket for another game later that month, um, kind of on the house for them. So um, it's fun. There was one year, actually, my oldest son's very first Indians game um, as a baby. He was probably only like four months old maybe um he it was actually snowing and we went to the game and bundled him up and bundled ourselves up and said we're just going until they announced the temperature and then they announced that we're getting the free tickets and then we're getting tickets and we're going home and we did absolutely that (laughs) and um so it it was it's been fun to go there um the Indians a few years back went on the playoff run we went to some of the playoff games that was actually um, that playoff run I got to watch. Uh, Josh Bell was up with the Indians. The Indians played uh, your Yankees 
uh, AAA's team, which I believe was uh, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. Um, so I got to watch Judge in that. And then they also played Columbus when Columbus had uh, uh, boy, Bradley Zimmer, um, the outfielder that was with the Yankees that got the concussion. Um, and you guys kind of ran him out of town. Uh, I can't believe uh, Clint Frazier. Right now. Yes, Clint Frazier. Um, Thunder. Boy, that outfield game. Yeah, that outfield with Zimmer and Frazier out there, there was nothing those two dudes couldn't track down out there. I mean, it was like a no-fly zone. Like if you got a, you were having to hit a, the ball on the ground or literally just over the dirt in the infield to get it because um, those guys could just track it down and catch catch it. So um, love watching the minor leaguers. Um, definitely now going forward, I was trying to pick out games to go see when I know there is a player or two that's going to be coming through at that AAA level that could face the Indians. Um, so I get to go watch them and just see how they are. Um, got to watch Tyler Glasnow there. I'll be honest, I saw Glasnow AAA, and I didn't think he was going to be nearly as good as he was. I mean, he well, was, look at him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun to watch them, especially when they're younger and haven't had the uh, fame and stardom that they do when they get to the majors. So I kind of wanted to allude to one of the aforementioned topics that we were discussing before. We mentioned Chaim Bloom and all of the moves and all of the questionable moves and the concerning moves that he's made. One of the recent moves that conducted by Bloom, Kenley Jansen, 32 mil, two years to Boston. What is this? Boston, what does Boston have in mind? I'm, I'm not, to be frank, I, I, I'm very confused. I think this, I'm not sure exactly what, I'm guessing it was maybe to make up for that Craig Kimbrell absence and that lights out closer, but you, you do have a few pieces in that pen who pitch very nicely because the year that Jensen had with the Dodgers was not the greatest year. He he did have those 41 saves, but he pitched in the mid-330s, which obviously, if in comparison to a year prior, 2021, he had a 2.22 ERA, and he's 35. And the, the track record that the Red Sox have with prepping and developing pitchers, I I just don't think that their track record is steady enough to bring in a guy like Jansen. I, I, I'm quite frank here. I think that Jansen will even go downhill, and I, I, I'm not certain that this move will be positive for Jansen himself because – I just I'm not certain that this will help Jansen and I think that heading to Boston and what Boston preaches and the job that Boston does with their pitching hasn't really panned out and I don't think they have the right coaching staff and I don't think they have the right pieces to mold pitchers they're just not a pitching oriented team because the year that they had the pitching year that they had they were all over the place. They never had 
and they they never had a clear rotation. They were jumping from, they had Voldy, and then they had, they brought up, they brought up Brian Bello, and he was all over the place. He never really settled, and I I just from here I don't know where the Red Sox are going. Yeah, it's again, it's another curious move that they made. Their rotation is what Valdi, Pavetta, Waka, Richel, and Bello. That's not a very good starting rotation. Their infield is going to be Tristan Casas, most likely, Christian Arroyo, Rafael Devers, Charles Story. Uh, outfield is Enrique Fernandez, Alex Verdugo. Uh, I mean, really, I, I don't know what. The, the one thing that keeps coming to mind with this move is that they're hopeful that Jensen can have a good enough year come trade deadline when teams need bullpen help. Jensen can get them maybe a prospect, maybe one closer to high-end prospect or a couple mid-level prospects to help with their farm system or maybe somehow net them one MLB like, young player that's on the rise. Uh, I, I don't know. It really is a curious move, not something I think many people saw happening. And even when it did happen, I think people are still kind of like, why did you decide to pay him basically $16 million a year for two years when he's kind of shown some signs of decline? He did save 41 games last year. Uh, he did have a 3-3 ERA, 3-3-8 ERA, which was the second highest in his career. Um, yeah, it's, it's a head-scratcher for sure. Yeah, it definitely is head head scratcher. And before we wrap up, I kind of wanted to discuss something that's pretty funny, actually. Um, I just pulled up the Oakland A's because earlier today the Oakland A's were involved in a three team deal, which sent Sean. This is what the trade entailed: Murphy to the Braves, Willem Contreras to the Brewers, Piamps. To Brit to the Bra- to the Brewers, Justin Eager to the Brewers, Esther Ruiz to Oakland, Manny Pina to Oakland, Kyle Muller to Oakland, Freddie Tonic to Oakland, and Roby Roy Burris Alinas to Oakland. So in twenty twenty one, the Oakland A's starting lineup consisted of Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Josh Harrison, Matt Chapman, Elvis Andrews, Marte, Loriano Canna, Pender. Traded, traded, free agency, traded, DFA'd, free agency. <laughs> Left in F free agency, free agency. The only player that it remains on the Oakland A's roster is Ramon Laureano. Imagine if these players had produced what they were doing right now. And imagine if Marte was as productive as he is now. Imagine if Cana was as productive as he is in New York. Imagine if Murphy stepped up. I mean, Murphy obviously has left. Imagine if Olsen kept what he was doing. Chapman and... <laughs> it's pretty funny. Billy Bean, man. Billy Bean. Billy Bean. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, a buddy of mine, another Mariners friend of mine, um, called me to talk about something else, but we also talked about this this particular deal. Uh, and 
his initial thoughts were basically that the A's will be good in the next couple of decades. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's possible for sure. I mean, you never know with prospects or anything like that, but if, if they do, if the A's hit on their, the guys that they got in return and develop them and they reach their full potential, they could be a sneaky team that comes up on people here in, maybe five years or something like that. I mean, Ruiz is a highly respected outfield prospect that, I mean, he's arguably the Brewers' top outfield prospect. Uh, I know he was their number eight overall, uh, I believe according to MLB. And then Kyle Muller was the Braves' number one prospect. Tarnock was their number six. And then Salinas was their number 18. So they got some you know decent prospects back over in, in Oakland. And Manny Pinn is a fine, you know, fine average uh, modern day catcher. So, um, yeah, the, the the A's need help everywhere. Um, you know, Ramon Laureano is still there. Tony Kemp is still got Langoliers. Yeah, yeah, Langoliers. He actually looked decent he did. last year. Got to give him um, some time. Let him so, settle in. Yeah. That, that might be something. Um, they've got Christian Pache and another former Braves yeah. prospect as well. Um, you know, AJ Puck is, was a favorite of he mine. He was good. Uh, love, nice that, love that kid. Yeah, unfortunately, some injuries have kind of derailed him. I, I'm not sure if he could be a starter like they were expecting. I, I do think if he can't be a starter, I think he would be a lights-out dominant closer for sure. Um, but they just... I mean, Cole Irving right now is their opening day starting pitcher. And he is currently owned by the Seattle Mariners. So there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> the A's are hapless. Let's just put it at that. <laughs> There's nothing more yeah. to it. Um, okay. Yeah. So I think it's time to wind down. This has been a very productive show, Chris. I think we covered a lot. Absolutely, man. There was a lot to get through, and I think we got through all of it. Like I said before, the free agency market is slowly trickling down as the final contracts are beginning to as the final contracts are beginning to come together, Rodon is lurking. He is on the cusp of being, of being signed to a $200 million-plus deal. The Yankees, one of those other teams involved as well, still waiting on the final shortstop, Mr. Carlos Correa. San Francisco's in. The Giants, the Twins are obviously back in trying to bring it back but other than that we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and we will see you guys in a couple of days